This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in, Winning Cures Everything. It is the Tuesday, July 5th edition of the show. I'm your host, Gary Seekers. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And whoo, a July 4th weekend that really changed the course of college football for the next however many decades. And I know that we can start with last year with the Oklahoma and Texas move to the SEC, but it feels like USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten is a significantly bigger move. We're going to get into all the different things that have happened since, all the talks that are ongoing. Obviously, nothing official has happened since last Thursday night. I believe that was June 30th right before July 1st. So, of course, July 4th weekend, hopefully everybody got to watch fireworks, etc. We did quite a bit of that. We have a four-year-old, for those that are new to the show, and we have done bottle rockets and Roman candles and smoke bombs and sparklers and all that. Nothing crazy, but our neighbors, I don't know if this happens everywhere else across the country, our neighborhood has never been like this, but we have got people shooting off professional-grade fireworks for days around the July 4th holiday. And, of course, we've got two dogs. One of them does not give a rip about fireworks whatsoever. It does not bother her in the slightest. The other one thinks that it is a war zone. Every time one goes off, she has to duck and nod and go hide and all that. And it is, she's very anxious. Very, very anxious. So we are glad that everything is done because they have been going off basically since last Monday. I mean, people just shooting stuff off all the time. So uh, so it sounds a little crazy around the neighborhood and whatnot. If you are seeing this in your neighborhood, let me know that it's not just me. But it, it wasn't like this up until this season. We've been there for six years, never seen anything like this in our neighborhood. Regardless, uh, the four-year-old really, really seemed to enjoy it. Let's get into the news because there is a lot to discuss. We are going to hit on the ACC Atlantic 
today, our college football previews for the 2022 season, and we are getting into the big conferences. We've got the ACC this week, the Big 12 next week, the Big 10 the week after that. We've already done the Pac-12, and that was obviously before all of the realignment changes occurred. But, uh, but the last one that we will do is the SEC. So ACC this week, Big 12 next week, the Big 10 the week after that, and then the SEC. So uh, before we do all of that, let's talk about the things that actually went on over the weekend, some of these things that could affect realignment in the college sports world. This is not just college football. Don't forget that. Now, that may be the driving force, but it's not just football. This is everything. So when you see USC traveling to Ohio State for a football game that is a conference game, don't forget, you got to figure out basketball and volleyball and baseball and whatever, right? Softball, all this. Those teams that don't exactly make a lot as far as revenue goes, and this goes for Olympic sports too, they've got to find a way to make travel work. They're not going to have the same chartered uh, plane flights that the football team will have. The basketball team will probably get that as well same treatment as the football program, but it, it's going to be tricky figuring out some of this. So let's let's dive into news topic number one here. Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado had set up a meeting with the Big 12 today, and I don't know if they were all separate or if they all decided to do it together as a group, but uh, we will go ahead and show you here. Big 12 in deep discussions, now the latest from Dennis Dodd, is to add up to six Pac-12 teams after USC and UCLA, of course, went over to the Big Ten. Uh, This is very, very interesting because there was a report last week that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 were also going to meet today to possibly discuss some kind of a merger. Uh, Another point of news here, Colorado has scheduled a Board of Regents call, uh, a Board of Regents meeting that will be done through Zoom for Tuesday evening. Now, what that means, who knows? And of course, it is a little ironic that Colorado left the Big 12 to go join the Pac-12, and that had a lot to do with academics and going along with the same philosophy of the way that they want their university to be run, whether that's with sports and academics or whatever, right? There's, There's a lot going on there. But now, if you are about to get left out in the cold, yeah, it would make sense to jump back to the Big 12, who found a way after Texas and Oklahoma left to shore up their conference and make them at least a viable option, right? They have enough members, they have enough brands to where they will at least be worth something. We don't know what the Pac-12 will actually be worth. Um, what, what I was curious about is, would the Pac-12 and the Big 12 do a merger and then basically split into two divisions? Basically give both of them enough Programs to be able to run their schedules and whatnot and maybe have a conference championship game between the two best teams in those conferences. That could get a little bit tricky. So I'm curious what kind of merger they would set up because if you're looking at it right now, the Pac-12 only has 10 teams remaining. Now that is before any other moves are made with the Big Ten. The two other additional schools that the Big 12 is looking at is Oregon and Washington. Now, notice this leaves out Washington State and Oregon State. We're going to get to that here in just a minute, but if they take those six schools, the only four Pac-12 schools that would be left are Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, and Cal. Now, 
We'll talk about John Canzano and media rights and who's worth more, et cetera, momentarily. But I find it incredibly strange that Stanford and Cal would not be able to find a home other than maybe the Mountain West. That's what feels weird about all of this is the Mountain West uh, stands to gain quite a bit. And yet there are still Mountain West schools that are reaching out to the Pac-12 hoping for expansion. Again, we'll talk about that uh, towards the end of this news segment. There are there are Mountain West schools. Fresno State is the one that has been reported that they have already reached out to the Pac-12 and are trying to set up a meeting for expansion. They want to get out of the Mountain West when in reality the Mountain West could expand with Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal. That's that's a probability at this point. It's not it's not likely, but it is possible right now. So the biggest thing here is we talked about this on the show. Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado look like shoe-ins to the Big 12 if there's not a merger of some sort. And it would make sense on a multitude of levels, right? Utah and BYU are obviously rivals. Colorado was already in the Big 12 at one point. Arizona and Arizona State, obviously that Phoenix market is huge. Those two schools are very close to the Big 12 anyway. The only school that you're, or the only state that you're leaving out at that point is New Mexico, and it's got a good geographic footprint right there. Utah, Colorado, Arizona to mesh in with what you've already got uh, with Iowa, Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, et cetera. So I think that it is a, it's a possibility. Do I think all of this is going to happen? No, no, not at all. Do I think a merger is likely? No. Because I think the Big 12 wants to be their own entity. They don't want to go to 20 however many schools, right? The Pac-12 has 10 schools left. The Big 12, once Texas and Oklahoma leave, they will be at 12 schools. You would have a 22-team conference. So I'm I'm interested. I'm interested to see what they end up doing here. Could you have two 11-team conferences? And no, the number isn't even, and it's not a perfect you know, divide by whatever number to make pods or whatever it is. It's not perfect. But the AAC just had 11 teams in their conference uh, the last two years, I believe. And in doing that, I mean, it's been fine. There's been no issue with the AAC. So uh, we'll move on to this topic here. Washington and Oregon, their state legislators, are attempting to put something together to keep the state schools tied together. Now, Oregon and Oregon State are part of the same university system uh, that the government somewhat oversees. We'll, We'll make it very cut and dry with that, very easy. There's a lot more that goes into it, obviously. But with those, uh, they are, they are attempting to do that with Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington, Washington State. This from the Wall Street Journal says, Meanwhile, in Washington and Oregon, there's talk of possible legislation that would require publicly funded universities in their states to compete in the same conference, moves that would bind the Huskies to Washington State and the Ducks to Oregon State, possibly complicating any realignment move. Now, this is very interesting because Oregon and Washington are two of the bigger brands in the Pac-12. And I don't know if it's USC and then UCLA too, or if it's USC and then Oregon and then Washington and then UCLA. Who knows? But they are all for the big brands. Stanford is a pretty big brand, but I don't think that they are on the same level as far as national 
uh, awareness, right? That's the biggest thing. Uh, what I'm curious about is the fact that this would leave so much money on the table for Oregon and for Washington, for the Ducks and the Huskies. In doing this, they're effectively, you know, cutting their own feet out from under them. If you are, and we saw this a lot with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Everybody assumed that those schools would be tied together. Same with, I believe, Texas and Texas Tech way back when. And when there was talk of those Big 12 schools joining the Pac-12 with Larry Scott and whatnot back in 2012, I believe it was. Maybe earlier than that, may have been 2010. When all of this initially started, there was talk of that because the state legislators wanted to tie those smaller schools in with the bigger schools because those bigger schools, uh, you would take those big schools even if you had to take Oklahoma State and Texas Tech or whoever else. You would do that because you had to have Texas and Oklahoma. In this situation, everything's kind of been thrown out. Remember, USC and UCLA, two completely different universities. One's publicly funded, one is private. USC is the private institution. UCLA is part of the UC system. UCLA and Cal have always kind of been tied together and in this situation, the Board of Regents, the, the group that oversees UCLA and the UC system, said, this makes a lot more sense. You're only getting $20 million a year in the Pac-12. That could drop. It may rise a little bit, but it will never reach what the Big Ten is doing. And if the Big Ten is interested, then it makes sense for you to go and, and get that money. So this is this is going to be interesting. If the legislators do this, and it also might have already cost them an opportunity to move anyway. Obviously, the Big 12 would look at this. But the Big 10 may not be interested in going over this and waiting to see whether or not these state legislators require the Big 10 to also take Washington State and Oregon State. Because they want nothing to do with that. That adds nothing to, no value at all to their media rights deal. Maybe Oregon and Washington do somewhat. But it's also already been reported that if Oregon and Washington join the Big Ten, they are not going to get full member uh, money for the deal for the length of this first contract. So USC and UCLA will they will get a full members uh, fee, whatever it is, whatever everybody else in the Big Ten gets. Those two are going to get the same thing. Oregon and Washington would get just a a minor cut because they are not going to be worth as much as these bigger brands uh, or those that have been around for a long time. So we move on from there. Is Stanford worth more than Oregon? Obviously, Oregon, a much bigger brand. But if you look, John Canzano talked over the weekend to uh, Bob Thompson, who is the ex-president of Fox Sports Networks. And Bob Thompson told him that Oregon's media rights value is at about $30 million. Stanford's is at $45 million. Uh, now, Canzano said that may be all that would normally matter to the Big Ten. However, I think Oregon's national brand and Phil Knight's clout give the Ducks the edge. If the Big Ten takes Oregon, I would expect there to be some sort of subsidy or waiting period, uh, i.e. Maryland, before the Ducks are allowed to take a full conference media share. Now, that's what I was just telling you about. They are not going to get a full media share right off the bat. That's going to be interesting. And so, with Stanford, you don't have a lot to worry about. It is a private institution. You don't have to worry about the UC system. You don't have to worry about state legislators, anything like that. 
And the other perk for Stanford, and while their football program has not been great the last couple of years, it is still a big brand. They have an endowment of billions of dollars. And as far as being tied together academically, Stanford fits much more so than Oregon. And I understand Oregon is an AAU member. I understand this. Oregon is a great school. Stanford is widely renowned as a great school. So that would fit in really well with the Big Ten, with what they're looking to do. And don't forget, you, you got to have bad programs here and there. I'm not saying that Stanford is a bad program or that they will be forever, but somebody's got to take the losses. Stanford is not all that concerned with it. Not to mention the fact that Stanford in Palo Alto, California, massive, massive media market. At the Bay Area, San Francisco, is a huge market. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in that market cares about college football, but it would be nice to have that, especially when you're going to the table for meteorites, right? At Eugene and Portland are pretty big. It's not San Francisco. San Francisco is huge. Moving on, we have more from the ACC, and this is something I found interesting. Josh Pate, of course, the host of the Late Kick show on 247 Sports, tweeted out, uh, we'll figure it out in court, was the quote given to me from an ACC school last week regarding grant of rights. Uh, he said they'll be ready to move if the call comes from the Big Ten or the SEC, Uh M-H-V-E-R-3 on Twitter. And that This was in response to him saying, ACC source telling me this morning that the school they work for has exhaustively ran the numbers, and when compared to the windfall of SEC or Big Ten money, the financial risk is outweighed by the future reward. And that's before a likely settlement to reduce the impact. So the ACC schools are getting into this. They are interested in what's going on here. Um, and one of the biggest things that that I found interesting is, and, and while everybody's talked about Clemson and Florida State to the SEC, etc., you're, you're starting to see some of these other names, right? For example, on Reddit, and this came from Gopher Illustrated, and the guy at Gopher Illustrated is actually uh, Greg Flugauer, and he's on Twitter. He is the guy that called Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC back in 2019, and he is the one that said USC to the Big Ten uh, basically looks likely back in March. Like, this is, he, he's he got sources. He knows what he's talking about. He put in here that the University of Miami is investigating financing options to buy out their ACC grant of rights. I, Miami has quickly realized, and we see exactly what Miami's doing, right? Miami is, we you, everybody at this point, if you are a, a diehard college football fan, if you've been listening to us over the summer, John Ruiz is a billionaire booster for Miami. He's helping their recruiting efforts with NIL. He and that other group that have put together the package to get Mario Cristobal from Oregon to Miami, he and that bunch down there in Coral Gables have figured out, we know that the ACC is not going to be a powerhouse the same way as the Big Ten and the SEC. So we need to make sure that we are able to get out of this grant of rights if somebody were to come calling. So they have already started the process. They're already looking into financing. And if you think about the amount of money that some of these boosters are worth, if they care enough, now I don't know what the return on investment would be, if the school would be obligated to pay them if they were to pay out the buyout rights. But if they were to front the money and allow 
them to buy out of their deal, what would it look like, right? There are still 14 years left on their rights deal for their grant of rights between the ACC and ESPN. Now, everybody widely said that this was a terrible deal to begin with, but let's just say over 14 years, and I'm doing math on the screen right now, uh, (laughs) 14 years, and let's say that the ACC schools are bringing in $30 million a piece right now. And that, that might actually be short, but that's okay. You're looking at $420 million that in ACC school, and that's if it's only $30 million per season. you got to figure out a way to get out of $420 million that these schools would be owed. And it may be less than that. It may be more than that. That's just a, a simple round number, $30 million. It's not. It's more than what the Pac-12 was bringing in. It's not as much as the other schools, right? The the Big Ten and the SEC. But if you are going to find a way to pay off four hundred twenty million dollars, maybe maybe you need to do that. The way that it's written currently is that if they are to move, if Clemson moved to the SEC, all of their media rights that come from the SEC would be owed back to the ACC. So if they were to make a hundred million dollars in media rights. All of that would go back to the ACC, not just the portion that the ACC would have to make up for Clemson being gone. It would be the whole shebang. So they're going to go to court, and they're going to have to find a way to get out of this grant of rights. Otherwise, there's nothing that they can really do. I mean, they are tied legally to this. So I'm curious what ends up happening with Miami. My guess is they will find a way to get out of this because if, if somebody wants something done, they'll find a way to get it done, and they'll probably settle on it. Uh, it depends on Jim Phillips. Really, the commissioner of the ACC, is he willing to go down that road? Is he willing to look at expansion? Is he willing to look at anything else? So, you know, this is this is a tricky one. This is a very tricky one. We'll move on. We've got a couple more topics before we jump into the previews here. The Big Ten looks like they could be eyeing Georgia Tech from the ACC. So if all this grant of rights stuff gets done and they find a way to break apart the ACC in any which way, would Georgia Tech be a viable option? Because everybody's talked about the big brands, right? Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, whatever. Duke, as far as basketball goes, I guess. I guess for academics that would work as well. But Georgia Tech, as far as academics, certainly fits as well. Kelly Quinlan, who is a publisher writer for Rivals and Yahoo Sports Networks covering Georgia Tech recruiting, football, and basketball, he said that uh, Georgia Tech is being eyed by the Big Ten as a potential new addition, or at least that's a question. He said there's rumblings coming from another ACC school that there is interest in the Jackets program. Uh, it, this is all rumors, and it's actually reported by Gene Williams of Warchant, which is a Florida State site. And Gene Williams is pretty tied in. I know that. I've, I've followed him for quite some time. He tends to know what's going on and who people are looking at. If if Georgia Tech has reached out to the Big Ten and it has been reciprocated, yeah, he's got ties over there that, that this would make sense that he would know this. So if you look at this, does that actually make sense? And And yes, I think Georgia Tech to the Big Ten does make a whole lot of sense. And the reason for that, um, one, there was a lot of chatter about this back in 2012 when the initial when Maryland and Rutgers were brought in. The Big Ten looked at Georgia Tech quite a bit at that point. 
it would make sense because you've already got massive markets across the country at this point, from L.A. to New York to Chicago, etc. It would only make sense to bring in Atlanta, Georgia, which is another massive media market and one that really cares about college football. It would give you a, a shoe in to the SEC recruiting for, uh, footprint. Excuse me. The SEC recruiting footprint. That's the biggest thing, I think, for the Big Ten. The other part of this is uh, research monies, monies, research money matters as well. So it's not like Georgia Tech is broke. Georgia Tech has a huge endowment. They have incredible academics at that school. This would tie in really, really well with the Big Ten. And the other thing that I mentioned with Stanford is somebody has got to take the L's. And no, I don't expect Georgia Tech to be down forever. I think that they will eventually get the ship righted and they will be successful in football. But you gotta high you gotta bring in enough people that are willing to take losses for paychecks. And I think that Georgia Tech could be one of those. Now that doesn't mean that they're not gonna have success some seasons and whatnot. They're gonna beat teams that you weren't expecting them to beat. We've seen them do it with Florida State, etc., right? North Carolina last year. There are ways that you can bring in somebody that is not all that interested and not irritated when they lose. They're not all that interested in winning all the time. Obviously, Georgia Tech fans want to. The administrators, the people that really run that university, don't really care. I, I don't believe. So, they, they've obviously got bigger things to worry about. Georgia Tech, as a Big Ten member, would make a whole lot of sense. A whole lot of sense. Finally, last thing on the board here. The Pac-12. We'll move back over to them because they are the ones that we're just talking about ways to rip up the Pac-12, ways to rip up the ACC, etc. Well, let's uh, let's move into this one. Dom Izzo, who's the sports director at WDAY Sports in Fargo, North Dakota, uh, he said Pete Thamel uh, told them there isn't a strong appetite among the remaining 10 members to add a few Mountain West schools like San Diego State or Boise State or the WCC's Gonzaga in basketball and just soldier on. Now, that came out earlier today, 10.22 a.m., and almost right after that, you see that the Pac-12 came out, and this was, uh, let's see, about an hour ago. So I'm, I'm recording this at 12.45 right now. Uh, so, you know, somewhere around uh, 11.30 or so, the Pac-12 board of directors met this morning and authorized the conference to immediately begin negotiations on its next media rights agreements. Now, that is after, on July 1st, they said the board of directors met and authorized the conference to explore all expansion options. It says the 10 university presidents and chancellors uh, remain committed to a shared mission of academic and athletic excellence on behalf of our student-athletes. So, basically, what they were doing is go and look and see what is available and see if there's anybody that would add any kind of value to our conference. This conference used to be called the Pac-10. And then they added Utah and Colorado. Now they have lost to USC and UCLA. They are back to 10 schools. So long as nobody else gets poached, then they're going to be all right. But, obviously, everybody's talking about the fact that they will likely get poached at some point. Utah and Colorado and the Arizona schools are already talking to the Big 12. Uh, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are talking, etc. Basically, uh, the Pac-12 board of directors wants them to go ahead and see 
what the conference is worth for their next media rights agreements. Uh, John Canzano talked to, of course, Bob Thompson, who was the ex-president of Fox Sports Network, and he told Canzano that with USC and UCLA, the league was looking at around maybe half a million dollars, or half a billion, excuse me, $500 million per season for their next media rights deal. George Klyovkov would have been able to get something like that done, and it may not have been quite 500 490, 470, you know, somewhere around 500 million. As it sits without USC and UCLA, without that LA media market, he said that they are looking at around 300 million dollars per year. Now that is that is not great, but it is better than what they were doing, right? The last season they got just over 20 million dollars per school for their media rights. This would still be looking if it's if it's those 10 teams and nobody else moves. Nothing else changes. You don't add in teams just to get to a certain number. At that point, $300 million divided by 10, that's $30 million per school. That's not near what the Big Ten and the SEC are going to get. But that doesn't necessarily matter. I think that might still be more than what you could get if you're some of these other schools and you end up having to bounce wherever. right? If, if we end up with Utah, Colorado, and the Arizona schools going to the Big 12, those other six schools are either going to have to call up Mountain West teams or they're going to have to just join with the Mountain West overall. And at that point, what is that contract really worth? Right? If you've got Stanford and Cal and Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, and then you add in all of the Mountain West schools, Fresno, Nevada, Boise, San Diego State, uh, Air Force, etc. What are those contracts worth? Because I would, I would wager that maybe you might get seventeen to twenty million per school, maybe. And the Mountain West schools don't even get that right now. So I would wager it might be less. You might be looking at twelve to fifteen million per school because I do think that Oregon, Washington, and Stanford and Cal do bring at least that much of a market uh, to that conference. So. Still a lot to figure out as we go along. Uh, We're almost 30 minutes into this, and we still have conference previews to get to. So let's hit some ads, and on the back end, we will get to the ACC Atlantic. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, our gambling picks, our store, the gear we use, and more. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get not only the full shows, but individual segments along with other goodies as well. We're over 5,600 subscribers right now, and our goal by the end of football season is 7,500. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. You can visit winningcureseverything.com slash store and see what all we've added. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. 
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And now, back to the show. All right, the ACC Atlantic for the 2022 college football season. I've got picks, I've got predictions, I've got previews, etc. Uh, let me go ahead and and write down what we're looking at here. But Wake Forest is who we're going to start off with. Uh, the ACC, obviously, lots of turmoil as far as conference realignment and whatnot is concerned, but they don't have to worry about that right now. They have a season coming up. Fall camp does begin in uh, about a month or so. So we're going to go ahead and dive into it along with uh, with my predictions for the season for these schools. We'll start off with the Wake Forest Demon Deacons and Wake Forest. Uh, really good season last year. I mean, good gracious. This bunch it went 11-3 and three, uh, for Dave Clawson, went 7-1 and one in the conference uh, before the conference uh, championship game. Their postgame win expectancy was very surprising to me. If you take all the stats in each of these games and you put a percentage of whether or not they would have won the game, 7.45 and 5.55 for this. Now, that obviously includes the ACC championship game, which they were not in uh, basically pretty early in that game. But only 7.5 wins on the season and 5.5 and and losses is a little, a little bit surprising to me. Um, I think... I, I'm not sure what to think of this, honestly. It's it's just a little bit surprising when you look at the fact that they had 11 wins and they ended up 7.45 uh, post-game win expectancy wins. That's that's just strange to me. They do have a lot of returning production, 34%. Uh, sorry, sorry, 72%. It's number 34 in the country. The offense brings back the majority. They are number 20 in returning production. And, the I mean, this was a big dramatic difference between offense and defense for this team number 16 in offensive ppa per drive number 94 in ppa per drive on defense and for those that want to know what that means that's predicted points added per drive it's a an analytic metric so um you look at this basically wake forest could not stop the run they were number 119 in defensive rushing success rate allowed uh let's look at the offense here offense is going to be great with the quarterback sam hartman um Wide receiver A.T. Perry is back. The wide receiver Donovan Green, who was injured last year. Four offensive line starters back. This offense under Dave Clawson, regardless of returning talent, is always going to be pretty good. With this much returning talent and with that quarterback that understands that RPO system, they're going to be good. They're going to be really good. Now, I would say that they need to improve their rushing success rate, but last year they didn't really need it. You know, they were number 65 in rushing success rate. Okay, this team was number four in points per scoring opportunity. They were nine, uh, number 19 in scoring opportunities. That's drives that you have a first down inside the opponent's 40-yard line. Now, it's not red zone numbers and whatnot, but this is this is a peak offense. They were able to get onto the opponent's side of the field with a first down and a chance to score often, and they did it often. Number four in points per scoring opportunity. That is really good quality possessions. Now, the bad side is the defense. Right, 
Defense, again, number 94 in PPA per drive. They were they were not great. And they obviously knew that, right? New de, uh, The new defensive coordinator here is Brad Lambert. He flipped Purdue's defense around in just one season. Uh, Purdue's defense was really, really good last year. We'll talk about them once we get to the Big Ten, of course. And Wake's PPA margin, number 64, even with the number 16 PPA per drive offense, it tells you that this team was was not good. 64 for a PPA uh, margin is not great, especially when you are as as good as they are on offense. So at this, I mean, they, they lose their leading tackler, uh, Masterson. They lose three defensive linemen. They lose three defensive backs. Look, the new defense coordinator, Lambert, has good pieces to work with. Defensive end, uh, Bothroyd, and the linebacker, Sminda. Uh, the rest of the defense looks to be filled with underclassmen. But again, if the defense was not good last year, does it really hurt you all that bad when you lose some of those guys? I would venture to say no. I don't think it hurts that much. So when you look at the keys to the season for this, uh, they are projected favorites in, da, 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 let's see, they're projected favorites in eight games here. And I think that that's, you know, that's reasonable, especially considering that their postgame win expectancy last year was uh, 7.5 out of those 13 games. Like, they they just won a lot of games that statistically they likely wouldn't always win. So, uh, also on this, um, injuries always seem to be an issue because of uh, depth issues. Like, can the young guys develop quickly enough to help them late in the season? You've got some studs around here. I think they're going to be okay. But again, you got to develop. And Dave Clawson's done it year after year after year. Their roster is never anything to write home about. And yet this year, you know, the number 40 strength, uh, or team strength in all of the country, that's pretty good for what they usually are. Uh, with the schedule like Clemson, Florida State, Army, Louisville, NC State, UNC, Syracuse, uh, the rushing defense has got to improve this year. Again, number 119 in success rate allowed. That's a key to the season. Uh, Wake Forest, again, this is something else that I haven't talked about a whole lot, but with these guys, it could be very important. Uh, they were lucky to have the second most accurate kicker in NCAA history. 89.9% for Nick Skiba, but he is gone. Uh, will Matt Dennis be good immediately? Like This is one of those guys, again, points per scoring opportunity. When you get down there and you can't get a first down, you have to be able to chalk up those three points. Is the new guy going to be that good? Uh, my my record here, I went back and forth on this. I had them 8-4. and four. I'm... I'm going to go with 9-3 and three on this. Uh, I've got losses to Clemson, NC State, and Syracuse. But I could see them losing to Louisville. I could see them losing to North Carolina. I, I want them to be good. I could, I could see them losing to uh, Florida State on the road as well. This is going to be an interesting team to watch because we, we always see this with... With Wake Forest, teams that are not as talented as some of the other teams that they are playing on their schedule, I want to know what Wake Forest's defense looks like because that cost them a couple of games last year. I want to see uh, if the offense continues at the same pace that they did last year. Even with all the returning production that they've got, again, 79% on offense. At the quarterback's coming back. they got four offensive linemen back. they got guys that really understand the system and know how to run it. Schedule's tricky. Like, really, really tricky. So, I'm I'm curious. I mean, they won some games, you know, late last year. 
uh, late game heroic kind of stuff. Do they keep doing that with these experienced guys like the quarterback Sam Hartman? That's what I want to know. With that, we'll move on to the NC State Wolfpack and NC State. Uh, really good last year, but had to deal with injuries. And obviously, you hate that. But this is a uh, this is a fun team. This is a fun team for sure. Uh, they lose Ikemi Kwanu, uh, Zonovan Knight, the running back, Emeka Imizi, the wide receiver, uh, defensive end Daniel Joseph, running back Ricky Person, uh, Jr. Uh, they they lose some big time guys, and yet seventy nine percent returning production. That's number eleven in the country on defense. It's number eight. They bring back eighty five percent of their production on defense. It's fantastic. Uh, this team. <laughs> There were ways that they beat themselves a lot last year. Uh, penalties per game is a big one, number 120 in that regard. But this is a really, really strong roster, especially on defense. Number four roster strength uh, by the guys over at CFB Winning Edge. They went 9-3 and three last year. Post-game win expectancy said that they were closer to an 8-win team, like 8-4 and four, as opposed to 9 wins. But, you know, we'll, uh, we'll get into it. Let's go ahead and talk about the offense. Uh, Tim Beck's offense, it's fun. It is. It's a good time. Number 15 in explosive rate, but sometimes he makes you want to pull your hair out. The offense was explosive, but not exactly efficient. In 2021, they were number 28 in points per game, but number 85 in overall success rate. You need consistency if you're going to win the ACC. They they have not done that. They want to be able to get there. You need consistency, and you want the explosiveness, right? Explosiveness is a big part of today's game, but you got to be efficient with it. You got to you got to keep doing it. Quarterback Devin Leary returns. A lot of people are very high on him as far as NFL grades, etc. I'm interested. I'm very curious what he's going to be like this year. They got four starting offensive linemen back, wide receiver Thayer Thomas. They do lose the left tackle. They lose the running back. They lose a wide receiver. I mean, all kinds of different things. You got to have new guys step up in those key spots. But again, lot of returning production. They got 73% coming back here. I want to know a lot of different things, really, uh, with this team. On defense, uh, Tony Gibson is back. And I think that Tony Gibson, I mean, with 85% back, this is the most stacked linebacker room in all of FBS. Uh, The linebackers, Thomas Wilson and Moore, are all incredible. On top of that, Moore or Wilson, are they going to have issues after their injuries last year? Defense line has got Durden and Jackson back as well. Like, this unit is stacked. Absolutely stacked. They were number 11 in PPA per drive last year. Number 6 in rushing success rate allowed. Number 5 in passing success rate allowed. The other side is number 106 in explosive play rate allowed. Now, part of that is because they didn't allow, like, a ton of plays. But, I mean, the secondary, like, full of seniors... uh, bunch of depth like this this is a top five defense in the country this year like Dave Doran has really really got a good defense lined up they're projected favorites in nine games uh seven of them are toss-ups that's games that are projected within uh, one score like within eight points so I you know I'm I'm curious because it's a lot of toss-ups here let's look at the keys to the season Efficiency on offense is the name of the game uh you got to find a way to avoid third and long as often as they did last season you got to cut down on the penalties. Number 120 in penalties per game. I mentioned that earlier. Defense is good enough to win a bunch of games if they don't beat themselves. And another key, the defense is special. Uh, Georgia did it with defense last year. NC State could certainly win the ACC for the first time since 1979. 
by just leaning on the defense and not beating themselves on offense. I I really like this team. I've got them at nine and three. I've got a loss at Clemson. I've got a loss at Louisville, a loss at North Carolina. I could totally see this team winning 10 games. But at the same time, I've thought that about Dave Dorn teams in the past. And in the past, it has bitten me because sometimes they do beat themselves. I would love for it not to happen. But I've got them at 9-3. and three. I think this team's really, really good. They went 9-3 and three last year. They should be able to repeat that. That's the way that I would lean on that one. All right, let's jump into... Uh, the next one on the board, the Clemson Tigers. Dabo Sweeney last year was obviously a bit of a disappointment. And when you look at Clemson 10-3, and three, I mean, not great. Their postgame win expectancy is the thing that really surprised me. You go based on the numbers last year, and this team was closer to an 8-win team as opposed to a 10-win team. 7.73 and 4.27 is their postgame win expectancy record. That's... It's seven and a half wins. This team was not good last year. Now, obviously, they had a bunch of injury issues, etc. The biggest issue, of course, was on offense. Number 111 in PPA per drive in that spot. Returning production is number 35 in the country, 72%. Uh, they're bringing back a ton on offense. And that, of course, was the weak link last year. So that's obviously a little bit tricky. 79% of the offense comes back. 64% of the defense comes back. But the biggest losses here are obviously at the coordinator positions. Tony Elliott leaves the offense to head over to Virginia, and uh, Venables leaves the defense to head over to Oklahoma. And then they hired from within. So maybe there's continuity there. Brandon Streeter, of course, the new offensive coordinator. The roster strength is obviously really, really good. But this is going to be tricky. Last year, number 45 in PPA margin. That's not good. Now, net points per drive, that's pretty good. Number 31, okay, this is not what you expect. From Clemson, though, uh, again, Brandon Streeter, the new offensive coordinator, let's talk about the offense here. Uh, we still haven't really figured out what happened to DJ Uyangalele, the quarterback here. It, he had 56% completions, nine touchdowns to 10 interceptions, number 107 passing success rate last year, and he didn't really impact in the run game either. Was he completely overwhelmed by Georgia and just lost all of his confidence, or was he just not as good as we assumed he would be? Like, is it something that happened early in the season that he wasn't able to get out of? Because he looked so much better in his freshman season. We still don't know what's going on with that. It, as far as the wide receiver position, there's very little versatility there. Uh, Ngata should be a leader for that unit. The offensive line should be strong, but they weren't in 2021. Uh, there's, no hand, there's no transfer help, and they hired internally. I, I want to see what this looks like. What is this something that's going to end up costing them they do have the running back, Will Shipley, and he is awesome. I mean, he's every bit what you assumed. The other part of this is DJ, we all assume, will be the starter. But does Cade Klubnik come in and take the job? We've seen Dabo let freshmen come in and take over jobs in the past. If DJ's not up to snuff, uh, you look at the schedule, it starts out great. But once you get to at Wake Forest, NC State, at Boston College, at Florida State, Who's the quarterback at that position, right? Um, let's look at the defense here. This team, by the way, projected favorite in every single game, which of course they are. I mean, they, we we all knew that. In uh, On the defense, play caller is Wes Goodwin. He was Venable's guy. He was uh, an assistant safeties coach. Mickey Kahn is the co-defensive coordinator, but I believe the play caller is going to be uh, Wes Goodwin. Defense is the only way that this team got to 10 wins last year. Uh, two of the losses 
that they had were only by a touchdown. So this team was not far off because the defense was awesome. Number seven in PPA per drive defense, number two in points per play. The entire defensive line comes back. They've only got one starting linebacker back, and none of their backups had more than 183 snaps. Uh, Very few of them had even close to that. They lost three starting defensive backs. Four guys that are coming back had 334-plus snaps, and four more had over 128. So they've got experience back there, and Dabo is known for this. Anytime that you can blow out somebody, you do that early, you get in the young players, you let them get game time experience, etc., where they are actually under fire. Let's look at the keys to the season. Um, Absolutely have to figure out this quarterback situation. If you want to compete in a big way, if you want to compete for a playoff appearance, you got to hope guys like uh, uh, Brzee and Shipley stay healthy. That's a big thing. I, I mentioned earlier injuries hurt them last year. Both of those guys were out at some point last year. The offense cannot be that bad again. Cannot be that bad again. On defense, it's as easy as just handing it over to Venable's understudy. I find that hard to believe, but maybe so. We've seen young guys come in and be very, very successful in the past. Expectations on that ball, sky high for a first-timer. They're going to rely on you because the offense was not great last year. The only saving grace was that defense. So you got a first-time coordinator coming in, calling plays, trying to figure this out. It's going to be tricky. Uh, What does the new era look like, right? They only took in two transfers. Uh, One of them is a guy that had already been there. Another is a D2 kid. There's a lot of questions around this program. This is the beginning of that. We start to get answers for this as soon as August gets here. That first game is in September, September 5th, on a Monday night at Georgia Tech. We start to see what this really looks like. Was Dabo just a product of some really good coordinators over the years? Or were those coordinators a product of Dabo's culture? And basically, you can throw in anybody there. I would expect him to know better than me, obviously. this is I think it's fair to question basically everything at this point with any program. So I'm going to question a little bit. I've got them at 10-2 and two on the season. Uh, their win total is 10 and a half. Uh, now, to go over that 10.5 is plus odds, plus 105. Uh, to win the conference, they are a minus 140 favorite. Uh, to win the division here in the ACC Atlantic, they are minus 250. So this is obviously your hands-on favorite. I've got them losing at Boston College, and I've got them losing to Miami. Uh, now, would it shock me if they lose to NC State? No. Would it shock me if Clemson loses at Wake Forest? Actually, yeah, kind of. Um, a loss to Louisville, a loss at Notre Dame, a loss to South Carolina, like a, Nothing is off the table for me this season, but I think there is enough talent and enough continuity. Um, I I believe that 10-2 and two would be a pretty good year for this bunch. That's the way that I'm going to go on this, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. I would love to know your thoughts in the comments, but 10-2 and two looks pretty good. Uh, winning the ACC Atlantic, I think, would be pretty good here. I, I think this is a good year for Clemson. So 10-2... and two, Not crazy, but not exactly playoff-worthy either. All right, let's go ahead and hit some other ads, and then we'll hit the back four on the back end. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter, at Winning Cures, or you can follow the guys at GaryWCE and at Chris B. Giannini. 
Or you can also follow us on Facebook. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show, too. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com. We'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, back to the show. The Louisville Cardinals are next on the docket here. And Louisville, last year, uh, not great. Six and seven, they lost their bowl game. Scott Satterfield, of course, going into what appears to be a hot seat kind of season. Obviously, recruiting is changing that because they have hit on some big-time recruits heading into the 2023 season. But for now, those guys ain't coming in to help this bunch. What they do have here is Malik Cunningham coming back. That's certainly going to help, right? This team went 6-7 and seven last year, but their post-game win expectancy was 8.74 and 3.26, so they were closer to a 9-3 and three team in the regular season as opposed to a 6-6 six and six team. They just got really unlucky on some of those one-score games. They were 2-4 and four in those. Uh, when you look at this team, you know, number 41 in PPA margin, they were number 20 PPA per drive, on offense, number 89 on defense. And yeah, if you don't have a defense, obviously it's going to hurt you. Their returning production is number 29 in the country, 73% coming back. The offense brings back the majority of that at 77%. Defense, 69%. It's okay. It's number 40. Uh, The roster strength here is really, really good, especially on the offensive side of the ball. We know that this team can move the football. When you look at it, uh, the offense coordinator was split between five assistants in 2021. They did hire Notre Dame's run game coordinator, Lance Taylor, as their offensive coordinator. Uh, the quarterback, Malik Cunningham, he's he's a one-man show. He's absolutely phenomenal. If you have not watched him, you need to make sure that you do this season. There's no guarantee that he'll even see the field in the NFL, but he is a phenomenal, phenomenal college quarterback. Felt like he did everything. Uh, this team was number 20 in PPA per drive, number 25 in points per play. They were number 55 in offensive success rate, though, which is not great. They were just explosive. They were number 7 in explosive rate. Uh, you got four offensive line starters back. If you can get the running game going, then you should be pretty good, and I think they've got a good chance of doing that. They brought in Tennessee transfer running back at Tyon Evans. Uh, the number 74 rushing success rate is not good enough. You can't hold on to the ball that way. Uh, a lot of their running game last year kind of revolved around Cunningham being able to do things with his feet, right? I think this season they're going to need a little bit more than that to be good. On defense, they hired Florida secondary coach Wes McGriff as their co-defense coordinator to go along with Brian Brown, who's been there since 2018. Uh, this is this team was not good on defense last year. Number 89 PPA per drive defense, number 86 rushing success rate allowed. 
that's not good. Uh, but the passing success rate was number 46. I mean, that's okay. Okay. Uh, number 89 PPA per drive, number 82 points per play, number 101 points per scoring opportunity. They need a fresh voice. They need to get somebody in there that will convince them that they can make stops, right? That's, I think, the biggest thing here. They brought in eight defensive transfers. They brought six of them into the secondary alone. And, you know, linebacker uh, Abdullah is the leader here. Yeah, you got to look for Ashton uh, Gillett to throw uh, to grow in his second season on the defensive line, along with Diaby. You got to get stops this year. I, I don't know what other way to say it. They're projected favorites in nine games, but nine of the games on the schedule are toss-ups. Again, that is games that are projected to be within eight points. They went two and four in one-score games, as I mentioned before. Post-game win expectancy said that they should have been nine nine wins. Um, if you want to know what happened, I mean, just look, turnover margin, number 53. Penalties per game, number 73. You need to improve both of those. Uh, if you're not going to be super aggressive on defense, number 73 is not where you want to be as far as penalties per game. And the turnover margin, I mean, you just got to be a little bit better. You just got you can't beat yourself. A lot of mistakes in those games that they ended up losing very close. Uh, it's not as easy as just winning the close games. The defense has to get stops. You got to stop teams. They gave up 4.36 yards per rush last year. This number 83 in the country. They were number 61 in opponent third down percentage. That needs to be a little bit better. Uh, it has maybe this is not a make or break season for Satterfield because of the recruiting wins that they've had. He's made all the right offseason moves, but when you get on the field, if they go through the same thing that they did last year, if they're not 6-6, six and six, if they go 5-7, and seven, what is going to happen? That's what I want to know. Because I, I think that this team could be really good, but I worry. And obviously, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I do like Malik Cunningham, but I just I have to wonder what the boosters will will say, what they will do if they're not winning games actually on the field, right? This team is pretty good. They're good enough to win a lot of games. Um, I mean, I've got them at 8-4. and four. Like Their win total is 6.5. I think they're going to be better than last year. I trust Scott Satterfield as a coach. I loved what he did at App State. But I also, uh, I'm not sure because I haven't seen it really at Louisville yet. And and I want to see what he does. So 8-4, and four, I've got losses to Florida State. Uh, Wake Forest, Clemson, and Kentucky. I've got a win over NC State in here, a win over Pitt, wins over Virginia, Boston College, uh, UCF, Syracuse, etc. It's a, a tricky schedule with a, a weird road schedule for sure. They got six road games, so it, it could be tricky. But I, I think they can win. I think they can win eight games. I like eight and four here for uh, for Louisville. All right, we'll move on. And let me write down the time. We got three more that we want to knock out, and whew, we are already. At an hour, but we're going to keep going. We got three more. Florida State is the next one on the board, and Florida State, the Seminoles. Well, let's just take a look. Uh, five and seven last year is not good enough for Mike Norvell and that bunch. Their post game win expectancy said that they should have been a six win team, six point oh one and five point nine nine. Their projected record this year, as far as SP plus is concerned, is seven and a half wins. So anywhere from eight and four to seven and five, somewhere in between there. They are number 18 in the country in returning production. That's 75%. The defense is the biggest part of that because they are bringing back 80% on defense. That's number 13 in the country. This team, as far as why they did not get to a bowl last year, it was the offense, which you normally would not expect from Mike Norvell or a Mike Norvell team. 
but they were number 73 in PPA per drive. Let's uh, let's take a look at you know what we've got going on here. The new offensive coordinator is Alex Atkins. He was the offensive line coach. Uh, but we do know that this is Mike Norvell's offense. Kenny Dillingham, of course, on over to Oregon to take over the offense for Dan Lanning, who is their new head coach. Quarterback Jordan Travis, the last man standing after the other guys all transferred out. Uh, going 5-2 and two in his last seven starts certainly helps in 2021. But again, you look at these year-long numbers, number 73 in rushing success, number 98 in passing success. you got to be better on offense overall. Their explosive rate, pretty good, number 37 in the country. Uh, you got four starting offensive linemen returning. You brought in three transfer wide receivers, including Pittman from Oregon. Uh, number 18 in points per scoring opportunity, but but you only had uh, you were only number 49 in number of scoring opportunities. That's drives inside the opponent's 40 where you reach a first down. If if you were not going to score when you get there, I'd, I mean obviously it's a good thing that they were able to score. Number 18 in points per scoring opportunity is great. They were able to finish drives. It's just getting there. That was the biggest thing. They shot themselves in the foot so many times. I don't know how how often we saw a second and long or third and long from this team, and that's just not a way to be successful overall. Looking at the defense, uh, Adam Fuller is doing things here. I mean, this defense was good last year. Number 30 in PPA per drive. Number 22 in rushing success rate allowed. Uh, the defensive secondary was not good. Number 58 at that point. Uh, they gave up 647 yards per play in 2020. That was number 105 in the country. In 2021, they gave up only 5.19, which was number 30 in that spot. Now, remember, first season was 2020. It was the COVID year. They didn't even get a spring practice. You knew it wasn't going uh, to be good at that point. What is the defense going to look like without Johnson and Thomas? Those guys had 29.5 tackles for loss, 18.5 sacks. Uh, the defensive end, Jared Verse, who came over from FCS Albany, he looks like the real deal, but is he really one of those that just was hidden and he's just going to pop up and immediately be an All-American? I doubt it, but we'll see. I think he could be really good. I just, I'm just i not sure what to think of him. Uh, on top of that, you got four linebackers back with 400-plus snaps in 2021. You got four defensive backs with 521-plus snaps. That's five more that have over 200. Uh, experience is going to help this bunch improve from the number 93 passing PPA defense in the country last year. They were not good against the pass. They are projected favorites in six games. Seven of their games are projected to be within eight points, uh, whether favored or underdog roles. Let's talk about keys to the season here. 19 transfers out, 12 transfers in. This team looks a lot different than they did a year ago. The roster continues to be upgraded. That's good. They're up to number 31 as far as roster strength goes because it had taken a hit during the Willie days. Uh, they were 3-5 and five in one-score games in 2021. You can fix that by improving penalties per game, uh, number 82 in that metric, and then number 72 in turnover margin. You can see right there on the screen uh, with those there. But you can definitely improve. You Just don't beat yourself. You're 3-5 and five in one-score games. You should have won more than that. Bottom line. The other key to this season is Jordan Travis, like, has he improved as a passer? That's going to be a big key as to whether or not they can really compete this year because the defense certainly looks like they are good enough. Uh, I've got this team at 7-5 and five this year uh, to go over that 6.5 win total, and they're minus 130. They're juiced at that point. But I like them at 7-5. and five. Uh, I've got a loss to Syracuse in there, which, yeah, but I've also got a win over Florida. I've got losses in the middle of the year to Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson. 
I've got a loss to LSU, but I've got them beating everybody else. And that includes a win at Louisville over Boston College, Georgia Tech at Miami, uh, Louisiana, and Florida. Like, I think 7-5 and five is good. This is a pretty rough schedule, but I think this is a good enough team to be able to get there. That's, that's how I feel about them. So I, I do like them. I think they're going to be okay. And that'll move us to the Syracuse Orange. Last year under Dino Babers uh, actually impressed me quite a bit. They were a lot better than I anticipated them being, especially because 2020 was just a disaster. But at the same time, they had to play a lot of young guys. They had a bunch of injuries, a lot of guys that opted out, etc. They went 5-7 and seven last year. The postgame win expectancy record was 6.64 and 5.36, so closer to a 7-win team than a 5-win team. And they beat themselves quite a few times. The offense was not great, but it was better than it was in 2020. And they just kind of didn't even worry with passing the football. Uh, when you've got Schrader and uh, the running back, um, Sean Tucker, then it, both of those guys can run. Makes it easy. So when you look at this, uh, we'll start off with the offense on this. Uh, their returning production is number 12 in the country, by the way. And number 12 is pretty good. But at the same time, roster strength is not great. Um, I mean, this is roster. Well, we'll get to roster strength there in a minute. Uh, the new OC is former Virginia offensive coordinator Robert Anai, and he brought his quarterback coach Jason Beck with him. Uh, they, that team at Virginia was number eight in offensive SP plus in 2021. They were really good on offense. They could move the football. I don't know that he's got a quarterback here that can do the things that Brennan Armstrong can do. So that's a little bit different. And I wonder if he's going to move away from what made them successful last year. Like, this is two really good offensive minds between Dino Babers and Robert and I. We'll see. Um, they are returning 81% of their production on offense. That's number 16 in the country. Uh, Sean Tucker was the only true sign of life last year. The quarterback, Schrader, was the second leading rusher. He kept the team organized, much more so than they were under DeVito or any of those guys. Uh, number 79 in PPA per drive. Number 93 success rate. Number 117 scoring opportunities. Uh, that drives inside the 40. Like, Anai has got to find a way to make this offense efficient. Like, they were number 50 as far as explosive play rate. And it was able to get them some wins and keep them in games. But, whew, uh, I, I don't know. That I mean, that offense was just not able to get it done last year. Just not able to get it done. The defense coordinator, Tony White, uh, student of the Rocky Long 335, of course, at San Diego State, like it obviously works because this defense is the reason why they were good last year, or or somewhat good. How's that? They were competitive. The reason they were competitive is because of that defense. Uh, they were they were number thirty nine in PPA per drive, number fifteen in scoring opportunities allowed, but number one hundred six in points per scoring opportunity. So once guys got down there close to that end zone, they could not get stops. So you got to find a way to fix that. If you could if you could keep them from getting down there then you were okay. Once they got down there, they they scored most of the time. Most of the time. So that's not good. Uh, replacing the entire starting defensive line, they do have all eight starters back in the backfield. Uh, every one of them is still an underclassman. 2023 could be really good if Babers is to survive that long. So that means you got to get something going with the offense, obviously. They're projected favorites in four games. they got seven games where the spread is expected to be within eight points. Like, after the bye week, the schedule is brutal. Absolutely brutal. You get done with that bye week on October 8th, you've got NC State at Clemson, Notre Dame at Pitt, Florida State at Wake Forest at Boston College. 
I mean, this is this is rough. And so you got to you got to make sure you get some wins early. And the wins early would have to be over Louisville uh, and Purdue. They they've also got at UConn, Virginia, and Wagner in those first five. But man, that back half is something else. Uh, the post game win expectancy, like I said, said this team should have been closer to seven wins as opposed to five last year. But the reason that they weren't there is that turnover margin in the penalties per game, number ninety five turnover margin, number seventy one penalties per game. That's going to do it to you. You got to clean that up. Uh, is it the final make or break year for Dino? That's another key this season. Roster strength is the worst in the Atlantic, but they would be fourth best in the Coastal. Uh, should they be able to compete? Like, I, I think they would. I think so. Uh, the other key to the season is Gary Schrader. Like, can he improve his passing? Number 117 in passing success rate. That was way too one-dimensional to cause any real damage against the uh, the ACC defensive lines. I've got them at 5-7. and seven. Like, uh, yeah, they're projected favorites in four games. I think they can win five. And I don't know exactly where those are going to come from. I've got a win over UConn, a win over Virginia, a win over Wagner, and then I've got a win over Florida State and Wake Forest. But it could be any of the other ones. They could beat Pitt. They could beat Boston College. You know, I, there's there's ways for them to get, and they could get to a bowl game. They could beat Purdue. They could beat. They could even beat Louisville. I just I don't think it is insanely likely. Uh, so I do think that. I mean, I've got them at five and seven. I've got them missing a bowl. I think Dino gets one more year if they're competitive because they'll see that they've got all these guys coming back. It, you got to see some kind of improvement on the offensive side with the new offense coordinator. That's what you got to see. So we'll we'll see what they end up doing there. But that one's going to be tricky. I mean, very, very tricky. Ah, that is going to move us into the last team. And, of course, we do these in order of finish from last year. And it kind of shocked me uh, that Boston College finished. Very, very low. I mean, last in this division last year. But uh, but we'll start off with that. So, the Boston College Eagles went 6-6 six and six last year under Jeff Halfley. And everybody loves Halfley, by the way. Have y'all noticed that? I mean, everybody just loves him. Uh, media is all over him. Uh, college administrators love him, you know, et cetera. Only went 6-6. Six and six, But regardless, postgame win expectancy last year was 6.37 and 5.63. Um, they were 5-7. and seven. Uh, as far as their projected SP plus for this coming season, you're number 93 in returning production, so that's not good. 57. percent uh, The offense brings back the least, number 114 in that metric, only 46 percent coming back. But the roster strength is still pretty good, especially on offense. So we'll see what that means. Uh, offensive PPA per drive was number 89 last year, but a lot of that had to do with the fact that uh, Phil Dracovich was out for you know multiple games last year, multiple times. Uh, the defense was. Pretty good, number 40 in PPA per drive. Let's start off with the offense, though. A new offensive coordinator, John McNulty, he was the Notre Dame t- uh, tight end coach, the former Rutgers offense coordinator. He's going to bring some RPO changes to the offense. I'm curious how much. It just depends on on him and Halfley and what they want to do to base it around the personnel that they've actually got. They do have uh, Zay Flowers back. They do have Phil back at quarterback. Um, I mean, he missed six games due to an injury last season, and that just tanked. Uh, Grossell was the the quarterback, and they were oh, putrid on offense with him at quarterback. Uh, he will have a stable of wide receivers, like I said. Flowers is back, along with the running back, Pat Garbo the third. Um, all five offensive linemen are gone. Now, the right guard, uh, Christian Mahogany, Mahogany um, I'm not sure how to say it, but he tore his ACL just a few weeks ago. He was a huge NFL draft prospect. Uh, so we'll see what happens. You've only got two returners that have 166-plus snaps on offense. 
but the talent still looks okay. Like they, I think it's this is going to be interesting to see what they end up doing with McNulty at uh, offense coordinator here. As far as the defense goes, uh, Tim Lubaka or Lubaku is the defense coordinator. We know Halfley has his hands all over this defense. We don't even have to worry with that. Defense kept BC in a lot of games that they had no business being in last year. Uh, the secondary was strong, number 29, passing success rate allowed, which is very fitting for Halfley. Uh, they do return four starters on that side uh, as far as the defensive uh, secondary goes. Uh, linebacker returns Arnold and De Palma, but not much else. Defensive line brings back six with 200-plus snaps. you got to be a little bit better against the run this year. They were number 84 in, uh, in defensive rushing success rate allowed. That's not good. This team is projected favorites in five games. Uh, in five of the games on the schedule, they are projected to be within eight points. So you got to keep Phil Dracovic healthy. The passing offense fell apart last year with Grossell. And there are real weapons if he actually has time to throw. That's the biggest thing. Uh, the other question here, can the defense continue their improvement? The majority of the talent's on the offensive side, but the defense has certainly played better thus far in Halfley's tenure. Uh, this is a strange contrast. I brought it up at the beginning about how much everybody loves Jeff Halfley. Adazio got to six or seven wins basically every season when he was at BC, and Half is loved by the admins with a seven-win season or a six-win season, six-win season, whatever it is. Like, it, the records are very similar. Like, how long does Halfley end up staying in this job? That's what I'm curious about. If he has another pretty good year, they get to seven wins, which is what I've got them projected to get to. I mean, their win total six and a half, uh, juiced at plus one hundred on the over. I I think they make it to seven. I think they get to seven. And if they do get there, how long does Halfley stick around? Does he take a Big Ten job? Does he take an SEC job? Like he he was at Ohio State as the DC for a long time. I wonder what he ends up doing as far as this arms race is concerned because he's got a lot of love right now from a lot of people. And if he doesn't strike while the iron is hot. You may get stuck somewhere that you don't want to be. So, very curious what he ends up doing. That is not necessarily a key to the season, but just an interesting question mark as we go along. All right, we went we went long today. What are we? One eleven. One hour and eleven minutes thus far. You guys have been fantastic. Uh, good gracious. I hope everybody had a good July Fourth weekend. I'm not gonna do some long drawn out goodbye. What I am gonna tell you though is, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on all your different metrics, all your different platforms, YouTube, podcasts, whatever it is. Share the show out for us. Tell your friends about it. Jump into the comments. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, we hope that you take care of yourself, take care of each other, and hopefully, hopefully, all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to the Winning Cures Everything podcast. The website is winningcureseverything.com, and if you want to connect with us, we're on Twitter, at GaryWCE, at ChrisBGiannini, at Winning Cures, or you can email us, Gary at winningcureseverything.com, or Chris at winningcureseverything.com. Subscribe everywhere you need to subscribe, and we'll see you soon. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.